Okay, I'm going to be reading from Daniel chapter 5, starting at verse 1. Daniel chapter 5, verse 1. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then he brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood and stone. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's colour changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this written, this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his colour changed, and his lords were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you, or your colour change. There is a man in your kingdom, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Balthazar. Now let Daniel be called and he will show the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I've heard of you, that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation. But they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I've heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Wow, that's a dream for every pastor, isn't it? Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. 
O King, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kinship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations and languages trembled and feared before him, whom he would who kill and whom he would be kept alive, whom he would be raised up and whom he would be humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened, so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like, a, like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind. And sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all of this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you. And you, and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways you have not honoured. Then from all his presence the hand was sent, and his writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mena, mena, tekel, and parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mena, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Peres, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck and proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 60 years old. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this beautiful passage of scripture. Thank you again that reminds us who rules life and death? You do, Father. Thank you that we can learn so much from the book of Daniel. Thank you that it's your word, Father, and you've given it us through your spirit. And you use men who are carried along by your spirit. And I thank you for this, Father. Thank you that we have your word to, to grow us up, mature us, so we can walk in your ways. But help me now to be found faithful, to be found trustworthy with your, with your word. We found a good steward of the scriptures. Help us to listen, Father. We have hearts that are stubborn, hearts that are sinful, hearts that are wicked. We are stiff-necked. We sin, we rebellion. And yet at times we are so proud and ignore the warnings that come from Scripture. Help us, Father. Help us to listen. And help us to apply your word to our hearts. Pray and ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Who in this hall, put up your hand, in this hall can say, I'll be alive tomorrow. 
Who in this world can say that? That I will be alive tomorrow. It's amazing. We talk to our friends and say, oh no, I need to do this. And I can know what there will be time. I'll have time to do this. But yeah, in Daniel, we see in Daniel chapter 5, and it makes it very clear, we don't have time. God rules our time. Everybody thinks they've got so much time. If you want to do stuff, do it now. Because we don't know what tomorrow brings. Our life is just by the vapor and mist. Put that kettle on and you watch the vapor go into the air and just disappear. So the question this morning, and I want us to dig deep. I'm going to spend two Sundays in this passage. Because I think it's an opportunity to look at God rules life and God rules death. And it's amazing. We can speak about life and and merry, and, and we can have parties, but we don't speak about death. We downplay death, or we become superstitious. Ooh, we mustn't speak about death because someone might die in our family now. It's taboo. But death should be a subject like rugby, like cricket, like whatever. It shouldn't be downspoken of. But the question is, do we believe that God rules life and death? Do we believe that? Who do we think rules life and death? Who brings us into this world and gives us life? And who takes us out of this world and gives us death? Who do you think rules our life? Now I can understand the unbeliever thinks that life belongs to himself. And he or she can do with their life as they please. And when they die in the body, life is over. That's it. Life is finished. Fortunately, there's some religious people that believe the same. And it's sad when even Christians don't read their Bible and see who rules life. And they just assume that when their life comes to an end, it is over. What is the common statement when we hear from an unbeliever when someone has died? Well, at least he or she is in a better place. How do they know? How do they know they're in a better place? How do they know how to get to this better place? They speak, but it is empty. It just falls on deaf ears. That's how foolish and futile the world is. But please, let's remember we've got to love and we've got to be sensitive to how the unbeliever thinks. I once thought things like that before God saved me. A lovely quote from someone says, We are enveloped in murky haze of misconceptions about life and death. There are so many misconceptions about life and death. As a Christian, if God is God, life and death belong to Him. God created every life. Job 33, 4. The Spirit of God has made me and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Unbeliever or believer, God has made life. You can't say he's an unbeliever. How can God make life? He makes life. Believer or unbeliever. Murderer, rapist, he made that life in his image. God created every soul. He holds life and death in the palm of his hand. God decides when life will come into this world and he decides when life ends and death happens. 
Scripture proves this. Hannah, we know Hannah for 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 6. Or we know of the story, Hannah. I've never met Hannah, so I don't know, but I know of the story. And Hannah prayed and cried and spent many years pleading with God to give her a son. And if he gave her a son, she would dedicate him to the temple service. And his name was Samuel. And eventually, Samuel was born. And Hannah gave absolute authority and power to God to give life and to take it. Listen to scripture. Hannah said, the Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Shoal, that's the grave, and raises up. Hannah is not exaggerating now, folks. Hannah is not exaggerating. The Lord kills and brings to life. <clears throat> and those are harsh words to think the Lord kills, the Lord murders. Yes, he did. He sent Jesus to die on the cross. God the Father sent His Son to be murdered on the cross. Life is in God's hands. And as a Christian, we should believe that God rules life and death. Now we need to look at, before we move to our first thing, we need to just remember, if life is in God's hands, that means we die in God's hands. And we go to heaven. But if life is in Satan's hands, that means we die in Satan's hands and go to hell. There are only two eternal places we go to, eternal hell or eternal heaven. That's the reality of life. There's no in-between. And Scripture tells us and warns us that death is real. It's not something that, that, or death is real, but so is eternal life for the Christian. That the Christian hasn't made up eternal life and we go to heaven so that we can feel better when we die. We can encourage someone on the deathbed. Don't worry, Auntie Susie, you're going to heaven. Just believe that. That's what the Bible says. Just believe it. If it's true or right, we just believe it. We know it's right as Christians. We know where we are heading for. Where our destiny is. And Hebrews 9, 27, 28 says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, who appoints that? God. And after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And then Jesus himself says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. From these two verses, we know that eternal judgment is a reality and eternal life is a reality. You can't get around it. So let's look at our first thing this morning from Daniel to, to, to show us so that we would believe that God rules life and death. It's important that, that I try and make Daniel relevant and not just speak about trivial things like does God still give us dreams and does God still do this? Let's look at, let's make this real so it can help us know that God rules our life to honor Him and God rules death so we don't fear death. And the first thing I want us to look at this morning so that we can believe that God rules life and death, we're going to look at life. Which we see in Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 to 16. 
we see that there is life. And how do we see there's life? Well, there's a king called Belshazzar. And verse 1 tells us that Belshazzar is good at making feasts, and there are thousands of his lords and thousands of people are there, and they are eating and drinking and dancing and having fun. No different today. What's the three words today? Eat, drink, and be merry. And there's nothing wrong with having parties. There's nothing wrong with having a 21st for your son and daughter. There's nothing wrong with having dancing at a wedding. There's nothing wrong with having a feast. But do you sometimes just have parties for the sake of parties so you can see who comes along, what man, what woman, so we can go home with them? Because this is what these parties were. These parties were not there to have an intellectual conversation. Maybe the men spoke about war and about how much horses they had and how much weapons they had, etc., etc. But it was there for other reasons, like sex and orgies. And today the world's no different. People all dressed up and ready to party. Outwardly it looks great, but inwardly it doesn't look great. Doesn't look great for Belshazzar. It looks like Belshazzar can only do one thing and that's make a feast and he cannot build an empire. He's good at making a feast, but he's not good at making a life. But let's see, if Belshazzar starts off with a feast, we must ask our question, or ask the question. How did Belshazzar come into being? Well, he was born. He was born into this world. God allowed him to be born into this world. We read in Scripture that God rules life. God gives children, for children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Children are a gift from God. God allowed Belshazzar to be born into this world through a pagan family. Or we're not too sure if King Nebuchadnezzar believed, in a sense, with a heart or with just a lip service. Every child from a non-Christian home to a Christian home is a gift from God. Children not own. When Cain was born, Eve said, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And some people really get silly and see, look, 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 the Lord laid with her. It's not saying that. That is just blasphemy. That's, that's just, that is just so disrespectful to the scriptures when people talk like that. How can you worship such a God? Look how they said to Jesus, you're born of fornication. It just shows you people are spiritually dead when they talk like that. And they're on dangerous ground. Belshazzar is on dangerous ground. Don't toy or mess with God and His Word. Because we'll see what happens when you do. Show disrespect to God and His Word. Another verse says, Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. For Cain killed him. The point is, God brought Seth into this world. He came in as a baby boy, he came in as a child. Every child, like I've said, that is born into this world is a gift of God. Therefore we can say, God rules life. And when we say that God 
that when we say that life is a gift from God, we can also talk about both spiritual life by new birth, new birth and natural life by the creation of the soul. So God, men and women are created in the image of God when they are born, but we know before God saves us, it's marred, it's a mist. We don't see things clearly. We're dead in our sins. We are lost. I like what I read around is that God creates the soul. Every baby that's in the mother's womb is alive. How can abortionists say life begins outside the womb? From conception, there is life. When Mary met Elizabeth, John the Baptist leaped in her womb at six months. That's life. That's not dead. We need to stand up for the truth today in love. We need to fight the good fight in love and gentleness when people talk about abortion and homosexuality, etc. We need to know how to sit down, have a cup of coffee and, and tell them why they're wrong and leave it with them and not telling them all the time. The psalmist says, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us and we are His. And the beautiful thing is a Christian, I am His. My Father is my Heavenly Father, loving, compassionate Father who loves me more than my earthly Father could love me. God made and owns every soul. That's why cloning can't be right. They can make a body, but how do they make the soul? A body without the soul is dead. A body without the spirit is dead. Lovely article here in Christian Ethics by Wayne Grudem, and he talks about cloning. And he said, God in his wisdom makes us all different as individuals, not as clones of one another, and in this way protects the uniqueness and value of each human being. How would we know if this person even had a soul? Would God be forced by the cloning process to impart a human soul to someone who has just happened to have a physical human body? If we read in the scriptures, we will have discernment and we will know how to talk back to the world the truth in love. God made and owned every soul, even Belshazzar. And yeah, Belshazzar is having a lovely life. He's throwing a party. And it's amazing that he's throwing a party. What would you do if you knew there was two armies camped outside your castle? Would you throw a party? Would you be anxious? Not Belshazzar. He thinks his 300-foot walls is enough to keep everybody out. But he can't keep God out. That's the scary thing. Who cares, guys? We're safe. We're in our palace. We're in the castle. Those guys can't touch us. We've got 300-foot walls. We'll just party. We'll drink. We'll be merry. And you watch in a few days. They will be gone. 
That is arrogance. That is pride. Is it different today? People think they can be safe and secure in their homes, behind their walls, behind their vibrocrete walls or their concrete walls, their parties, they drink, they be merry, thinking they are safe. To a certain degree they are safe. Let's not take that away. That's why we put up walls and we live in homes and we lock up. But they can't get away from God. God is all known, all present, all seen. But what we see in Belshazzar is the uttermost disrespect he has for God. You think, growing up with King Nebuchadnezzar, his father, he would learn from him. We spoke a few times in Daniel about how we must respect God and honour God, for He is the Almighty God, the Most High God, who dwells forever. But not Belshazzar. He gets all the precious vessels from the Lord's house and they fill them up with wine. What they're doing here is they're choosing to profane everything and then they praise their own gods, gods made of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood and stone. Utter disrespect for God. Now you might think, oh, I will never do that. But how much do you respect God's word? What do you do when you get home? Do you just throw your Bible down and say, check your next Sunday Bible? What do you do? Do you treat this as a precious book? Isaiah, come fear and trembling at God's word. What disrespect do we show to God? When the crisis comes away, who do we turn to? God alone? Or God plus our possessions, our own wisdom. What about the church? How often does the church blaspheme and profane God's word every Sunday? But one day, a writing will appear on the wall. Just like it did with Belshazzar. When we come to the household of God, we should come with utter respect. We should come in fear and trembling. We should come rejoicing, knowing that, wow, this morning we're going to sit down and we're going to hear what God has to say to our hearts from His Word, His precious Word that He's given to us. And we're going to sing praises to Him. And we're going to pray to Him. We're going to worship Him. Knowing that once I was dead in my sins and I didn't know this God and He didn't know me. I was doomed until He saved me. That's why Paul is such a... There's a man I'd love to meet. He's Paul. And he writes to Timothy and says, I hope to come to you soon, Timothy. But I'm writing these things so that you may know. If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. Which is the church of the living God. This is a living church. Because the living God dwells here. This is not a place we can come and do as we please. Tickle our ears. Entertain. Sing what we want to sing. This is the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. There are times when I actually don't want to preach anymore because of the responsibility that it brings. Knowing that I'm going to be judged stricter as a teacher and preacher than the congregation, unless you teach or in some leadership capacity. And how many churches come today and they are profaning God's word and His church? 
downplaying the gospel of truth. As soon as you add to the gospel, or you take away the gospel, God's word, you actually destroy the gospel. We need to come to terms with that as a church. People think, ah, God's a God of love. He understands. Belshazzar was in a blasphemous and in an abomination or abomination situation. He was a, acting like a full-blown pagan. And I can understand, but no, because he grew up and his father was a religious man and how much he respected God, you would think. But sometimes it doesn't work like that. We can have a lovely Christian home and our children can go wayward still. And then they hopefully come back and God saves them. Never give up praying for your children. Keep praying. Keep asking God to do His work. But churches and us Christians or non-Christians, religious people, can only do things for so long until the hand of God begins to move in our own lives. And this is exactly what happens to Belshazzar. The party has just begun and suddenly, without a warning, the fingers of a human hand appeared and right on the plaster of the wall. Even his arrogance, even his, his being a king, his exalted position could not help. He was totally terrified by the experience of a revelation from God. Just reading around, I want to quote something from one of the, the, the commentary books and how it describes. We, we read that then um, the king's colour changed and his thoughts alarmed him, his limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. Listen to what someone says about that. In fact, the Aramaic literally says that the knots of his joints were loosened. Most probably this knot to mean his legs gave way, as most English translations render it, but rather that he lost control of his bodily functions, with a wet patch appearing under his seat. In, in basic English, he wet his pants. That's how much terror and fear came to him. And I'll ask the question, when we read scriptures that warn us, do we sometimes like whoa, get a little bit afraid, a little bit of terror, or do we just brush over them? Do, are we so comfortable with God? He's my buddy, he's the big man upstairs, I just call upon him when I want to. It's not like that. He's otherly, he's beyond us. He's transcendent, he's imminent. He's the creator God. And how we respect him and disrespect him will show how things go on in our homes. But if we read scripture, how would you react to such a scripture? Hebrews is a wonderful book. We should know it by my congregation because we've spent so many years in the book of Hebrews and we finally come to an end. But there are warnings in the book of Hebrews. And then Hebrews chapter 10, 29 to 31 says, How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and has outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again the Lord will judge his people. 
It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And you can go see some of the men that fell into the hands of the living God, like Belshazzar. Do you, do, does sometimes terror come to your heart and wake you up and realize, wow, I better take sin seriously. I better take how I talk about God seriously. How I worship Him seriously. What Willem said this morning is so encouraging. Do we take God and His Word seriously? Or do we just think He's just a man like us? He thinks like us, behaves like us, and cares like us. No, He's, he's perfect in everything. His love is perfect. His thinking is perfect. But the most beautiful thing we need to know that God is a God of grace, mercy, love and compassion. And He gives Belshazzar a chance to repent. He comes with a warning. He comes with a king because God values life. Life should be sacred. Marriage should be sacred. He warns and Scripture is full of warnings for us. Another beautiful quote Listen to this carefully. Whenever God brings a man to the end of himself, smashing all his props and wasting his idols, it is a favorable moment indeed. It is a favorable moment indeed. But listen to this last few words. If he will but see it. And often we are so proud and blind to God's favorable attitude towards us when he's trying to warn us about something and we just keep doing the same thing we turn our back god is god cares we are created in his image we didn't just bang up here god rules life and belshazzar is in a dilemma and of course, in walks the Queen Mother to solve Belshazzar's, Belshazzar's problem. And she reminds Belshazzar of Daniel, this great man of God who helped his father, King Nebuchadnezzar. Again, isn't it amazing today if, if government, if, if some of the secular institutions called the church for answers? Wouldn't it be amazing? Why do they ask for Daniel? Because he has delight, he has understanding, he has wisdom. They know there's goodness that dwells in him. Maybe the people out there don't see goodness coming out of the churches anymore. They just see the people that live like them, talk like them, and speak the same and treat each other the same. Where we're supposed to be the salt and light. Where God wants us, or his word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, and he wants us to show that to the world. That he's the God of light. And Daniel gets called upon again to bring light and understanding to this Belshazzar's dilemma. Belshazzar is on the brink of deliverance, but will he recognize it? Will he see it? Will he understand it? And he even, he even speaks rudely to Daniel when he, when he says, and Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king, my father, brought from Judah. He even forgot that he had a, a different name. 
He even tries to, to, to bribe Daniel. I will give you this and this, which we'll look at more, Lord willing, next Sunday. And how many pastors would say, yes, certainly. There's your answer. Thank you. And off he goes with a car loaded full of gold and silver and whatever on a road to nowhere. Daniel knows God is the ruler of life and wants to honour God with his own life. He knows that he has been called to practice good stewardship with his body. He's been called to honour God through his, his, his speech. He's called to exalt God, not himself. Daniel is a very, very humble man. Belshazzar reminds me, which we'll look at a little bit more next week, like that rich fool. It was the ruler of his life. The rich fool said to his soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Same things can happen to Belshazzar. He's a fool. He thinks he's possessions. He thinks he's big castle. He's safe. But he doesn't know. God is the God that rules life. God has given him life to honour him. Our purpose in life is to glorify and honour God. Everybody's purpose in life is to honour and glorify God. But once you get saved, you see that a lot clearer. So now that we've looked at this one thing from Daniel chapter 5, Verses 1 to 16, to believe that God rules life. Hopefully you believe now that God rules life. That you will accept that God rules your life. And ask yourself, what are you doing with your life? How do you honour God in, the, in, in this body? If you're a Christian, you're a temple of God. The Holy Spirit indwells you. You were bought with the precious blood of Christ. You're not your own. Even an unbeliever is not his own. Because God has given him life. Will we look at one? Let's look at 1 Corinthians 15 and close. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 21 and 22. For as by one man came death, by man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And that's eternal life. That's, that's spiritual life. God has given us eternal life. He rules our life. And as a Christian, He rules our eternal life. We need to treasure that, Christians. And we need to share that with the dark world. We need to live in honor and glory of God who rules our life. And this is a warning, to, to, especially to people that profess to be Christian, but they do not, they just honor God with their lips and their hearts are far from Him. They just come here on a Sunday and then they do as they please during the week. For me, the most dangerous life is a religious life, a religious person's life. Who think they know what they're doing is right, but it's completely ungodly. Think of the Pharisees. They were the religious people of the day. They thought they knew God. Jesus came and put them in their place. Jesus does the same thing today. If you want to know you're right with God, if you want to know you're going to die in God's hands, open up the Gospels and read them. Let the Holy Spirit convict you of your sin. Let the Holy Spirit help you 
We all need our hearts examined to see we are on that narrow road for eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you again for the sacred scriptures. Thank you for giving them to us so we can learn that you are the creator God of heaven and earth and you give life to all people. That we are a gift from you when we were born in this world. Help us to to see life as sacred and precious, especially as Christians. Help us to help people see that, who just take life for granted, who live on empty words, like when I die, I'll go to a better place. No such thing. But we know as a Christian, there is a place, eternal heaven. So Father, help us. Help us to, to, to examine our own hearts this morning and help us to confess any sin and I ask you to help us and cleanse us from all our unrighteousness so that we can walk righteously with you. Thank you, Father, that you've made us. Thank you, Father, that you've saved us as your children, that we'd be here this morning and worship you, knowing that you rule life and you rule eternal life. Help us to see that, Father. And help us come back next week and help us to all look at death. But thank you as a Christian, there's no sting in death. Because Jesus has conquered death on the cross and in the grave he turned death around to give us life so father thank you and praise you pray and ask this all in jesus name amen